7 a.m. on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast of America. It's 3 p.m. in London, 10 p.m. in... I'll make that 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan. And in Malaysia, it's 1977. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Welcome. Welcome in, everybody. Hello to our podcast listeners across Spotify, iTunes, wherever. We're everywhere. If you have a podcast service you use, we're on it. Just search for I'm Not Wearing Pants. And if you want to see the video version of our show, you can either join us, like right now, live Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, 10 p.m. Malaysia time. Or you can go to rumble.com slash J. Sheldon, no pants. Subscribe, sign up, free account, and you can see all of our shows. All 99 shows. Yes, this Saturday will be our 100th show. I tried six ways to Sunday to get a particular special guest to come on. I could not get this person. You know what? Because you guys have been there right from the start. It may just be you and I, and we won't have a special guest. We did. We had my brother Michael from Joyzy on uh, on our 50th show, and I thought <clears throat> we'd try and do something weird for our 100th. But you know what? The show is weird enough, even if we don't have a guest. So it'll be you and me, you no-pants weirdos and me out there. And that's all we need to have a good time. And that is what we're going to have tonight. I got lots coming up, including the weirdest meatball you can imagine. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Uh, Stop screwing around with the Grab and Food Panda drivers, huh? Your food delivery people, Uber Eats, wherever in the U.S. Seriously, these guys and gals bust their butts to keep us fed. And, uh, you know, the Lala Move guys do an incredible job. I use them once a month regularly. And they're all fantastic. I always tip these guys, so should you. But we'll get into that later. Um, Right now, it's time. Miko Update. Miko Update. Where'd you go? Miko. Miko was hanging around. She was good. Hey, come here. Come here, buddy. Hey, come. Come. Come here. Come on. Come over here. Come over here. Get over here, over here. I want to actually bring her on the show. Come here, buddy. There we go. There she is. <laughs> Hello. It's your own update. You have an intro and everything. Imagine that. Yes, that's the microphone. Don't eat that. Everyone out there wants to say hi. So you say hi to everybody. Say hello. Hi. You know what somebody pointed out? And it's right at the bottom of Shiba Inu's feet. And I don't think all dogs are like this. I don't think you can see it. But their their foot pads, if you look at it upside down, look like little koala bears. I'll show you later. (laughs) Hey, are you comfortable? You want to settle in for the show? No? All right. (laughs) All right. It's been a while since we had Miko on the show. So we, oh, yes, I know. There, you want to stand up? Go ahead, stand up. There you go. Okay, you comfy now? Okay. Where are you wandering? 
She's trying to get comfortable. <laughs> uh, here we go. By the way, don't forget, you can get your Miko merchandise. See, that's her. Look, that's you, Miko. See, you're on the mug. You can get your Micho, Miko merchandise at twitch.tv. And uh, also coming up, I will show you the adventure of Miko and the cat. Yeah, she was back. <laughs> hey, Sarge. Sarge says, hi, Miko. Can you say hi to Sarge? Can you say hi to Sarge? Yeah? All right. Good girl. <laughs> yes, I am enjoying my day so far. It's Wednesday, middle of the week. So things are going good. You okay, girl? You want to let me do my show now? Huh? Can we get on with the show? What are you looking for? You want one of these? <laughs> All right, buddy. Here we go. You ready? Say bye, everybody. Say bye. <laughs> All right, good girl. There you go. Good girl, Miko. Yummy. Yes, she had a treat. <laughs> You're all right. Good girl, Miko. All right, let me just jump right into this. I don't want to waste a whole lot of more time. But this was Miko because you remember the cat, the neighbor's cat who keeps coming now in the house, not just in the yard? Well, check this out. The cat actually, there's my guzen, my uh, Chinese instrument. So check this out. The cat just wanders in the house like it's nobody's business, like it lives here. And Miko is saying, what are you doing in my house? By the way, if you're listening on the podcast, it's a visual. So you're going to have to go to rumble.com slash Pants to check it out. But <laughs> this is Miko trying to figure out why the cat is in our house. <laughs> And eventually, yeah, see, the cat does not put up with Miko's crap. The cat says, like, get out of my face. <laughs> and away it goes. Oh, man. <laughs> so that was Miko's big adventure. Yes, hi, dear. She's still here. <laughs> All right. Enough of the Miko stuff. Where are we? Uh, okay, we don't need that one. We don't need that one. Cool. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Wow. All right. So also don't forget coming up at the end of last half of the stream, we will continue on with the Jungle Book. We've been reading classic books here since we first started the stream 99 shows ago. We've done uh, Peter Pan, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, The Velveteen Rabbit, The Little Prince, Alice in Wonderland. We've, we're now we've been doing The Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling reading a chapter or half a chapter a night, depending upon how long they are. And we're almost at the end, just, I think, two more chapters to go, and then The Jungle Book will be over. So we'll start another book. Um, so that's coming up later on in the show. And uh, right now we're going <laughs> to we're gonna do our creative Mohanad the Mighty, who always has interesting things to say when he first joins us on the stream. And tonight it's greetings, creatures, in Lolatolata, but they call me LOL for short. I'm the ugliest unicorn princess in the history of the ugly princess alive and dead. I'm here for one purpose, and that is to harvest your fallen teeth and the ones still attached. This will hurt you so 
much. So open your mouth wide and scream, ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mohanad, you win. Chat message of the night. Congratulations. <laughs> All right. We're going to go from the sublime to the ridiculous, <laughs> Mohanad, and uh, move right into this weird meatball. Somebody posted this today, and I thought I had a weird brain. Imagine what it took to even have the beginning of the thought to say, hmm, I wonder what if. <laughs> this is a graphical representation of a giant meatball in the middle of Central Park. If, I don't even think I can get through this. Listen, if you blended all 7.88 billion people on Earth into a fine goo, the density of a human is 985 kilograms per, what is that, M3, meter times three? The average human body mass is 62 kilograms. You would end up with a giant sphere of human goo, basically a big meatball, just under one kilometer wide. <laughs> and this guy made a visualization of what that might look like stuck in the middle of Central Park in New York City. This guy is sick! <laughs> but... There you go. And, you know, if you look at it beyond the sicko part, that's not a really big meatball. It's <laughs> Seriously, that represents everyone on the planet. 7.88 billion people. Actually, since we've been talking, it's probably 8.9 now. But it's just a kilometer, a one kilometer wide meatball. It's a big meatball. Not as big as I would have guessed. Who thinks of these things? Well, apparently that guy. <laughs> Just unbelievable. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I have, I've done segments on my show about this before. But apparently it's time to do it again. What is wrong with you people? I don't mean my audience. My audience, I love you. You guys are great. But if, if you know somebody or you run into a situation like this, say something, speak up, make a point. This was from World of Buzz. A uh, hat tip and uh, thank you to World of Buzz who did some really cool articles. They threw a piping hot bowl of soup at him. A Malaysian shares her father's struggles of being a delivery rider. Now, again, in the U.S., I know you have things like Uber Eats. Uber, I think we threw them out of Malaysia, but we've got uh, Grab Food, uh, Food Panda. There's a number of different food delivery services. And honestly, for the last year and a half, almost two years, They've been keeping most of us fed and delivering our things back and forth from the office 
personal things. Uh, Lala Move is another company here that does great work. I use them often. But you have no idea what these delivery guys go through. And you need to show them some respect. I, I use Grab a lot. I mean a lot. And I always, always tip them a couple of bucks. Always. No matter what. Even if they're late. Oftentimes, it isn't their fault. The restaurant's late in preparing the food. But they always get a tip from me. And hopefully, they should always get a tip from you. You can even do it online. But I make sure it's in cash, so I be sure they get it. But this poor guy, and I'm not going to read the whole article. I just wanted to let you know that it's there. Please read it. It's at World of Buzz. And the article goes on about the issues and problems. Uh, a few states have moved into the recovery phase. Uh, most states in Malaysia are still under some form of lockdown. Um, most of us still stuck tapowing or ordering our food via delivery. And when was the last time you said something nice? to a delivery rider. By the way, in addition to a tip, they always get a thank you from me. That doesn't make me, oh, aren't you special? No, I'm just doing the right thing. And I hope you will do the right thing too. Uh, Esther Aaron, Aaron? Aaron wrote a post on her thoughts on uh, delay, uh, delivery guys and that uh, Malaysians should appreciate and have more respect for our food service riders. And boy, that is the truth. These guys are out there. My show, uh, my, not my show, one of the shows that I helped create uh, called Random Acts, we did a, an episode where we went out and we gave petrol certificates randomly to as many of these riders, food delivery guys as we could find and uh, just paid for a tank of gas to say thank you for all the work that they've done. I hope you might do something like that too and do the same thing. Uh, please respect these guys and gals because they bust their butts for us, and we appreciate them. All right. And speaking of things I wanted to make sure you knew about, this also is from World of Buzz, and um, a hat tip to them. It's a sad story, but kind of a nice story at the same time. A deaf Malaysian artist has been struggling to sell his art because galleries and classes have closed down because of the lockdowns which, you know, when people choose to follow politics instead of science, they lock us down. <laughs> did I say that? Yes, I did. Um, but anyway, this amazing artist, who I believe is from Penang, um, here's an example of uh, one of his uh, pieces of art. I've got some more coming up. Uh, certain industries, businesses closed down permanently, in fact, because they just can't sustain themselves through this pandemic, unfortunately. One of the hardest is the creative arts, theaters, live shows, entertainment, live performances. Um, I, I, honestly, I don't know how, if at all, they've survived, and many have not, sadly. But Kampong uh, Tunku MP Lim Yi Wei spoke about Mr. Lim Anwar, a deaf artist He's been suffering as his art gallery and art classes have remained closed down because of the pandemic, and his earnings have suffered too. He's been alone because his family couldn't return from his wife's hometown in Vietnam because of the closed borders. And um, 
His primary medium is batik paintings of landscapes and kampong scenes, which have been exhibited both locally, also in Belgium, Australia, the U.S., and India. Look at this. This is beautiful. I felt very touched by his ability to remain cheerful despite the circumstances, and thanks to his caring friend, Madame Loon, who helped communicate using sign language. Um, he is deaf. Again, look at, look at that. That is, how nice would that look hanging on your wall? I, there is a Instagram page. Let me open this up and see what, ah, Lim Anwar. There, you can see the, so you can check him out on his, on his uh, Instagram page. I assume through there you would be able to find, oh, limanwar.my is a way that you can get a hold of him. He also has a Facebook page, and his email is limanuar, limanwar at gmail.com. So if you wouldn't mind, check out his art and maybe buy a piece or two and help to support him. That's a wow, some really beautiful stuff if you check him out over on, uh, on Instagram. Very cool. All right. You know, I like this. We've mostly been doing good news tonight. And how often do we do that? Like almost never. Like so hardly ever do we have a show that has no pissed off news. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is a weird one, but I had to share it because I've had this experience. Chicken skin. What, you know, it's bad enough that we're doing the whole fast food thing. But now, the crazy people at KFC, you know, when you buy KFC, their chicken's pretty good. It's pretty juicy. It's not bad. But it's the skin. And by the way, their last promotion before this one, I forget what it was called. Some Balinese thing or something? Oh, man, that was good. I don't know if this is around the world or only here in Malaysia. Let me know in the chat if you know. But KFC has started selling just the chicken skin. And like the headline says from World of Buzz, it's everyone's dream come true. Honestly, it's really damn good. <laughs> I tried this a week or two ago. I thought, okay, got to try it. So, it, you know, this is for research purposes, folks. I only do this for you. Normally, of course, I would never eat that kind of, of junk food. But for research, I will sacrifice myself for you. It's really good. It just tastes, it's, it's the original recipe flavor. I don't think they have it in any other flavor. But, um check it out. And they did not pay for this. Now, if KFC wants to come on and sponsor the show, we can talk. No pants at jsheldon.com. You'll see down there in the scroll bar, there'll be an email address come up. No pants at jsheldon.com. We'll talk. Or KFC's agency, if you're listening. Uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, they did not pay for that. That was a non-sponsored plug, okay? No pants at jsheldon.com. Cool. <clears throat> All right. 
if you are not so much into fast food. Wait, Mohanad says, I hope our KFC doesn't sell this. They barely cook the chicken properly. So you can imagine what the skin would taste like. Ew. Well, tell them to fix it. Where are, oh, you're in Saudi Arabia, right? Yeah. That's odd. I thought it was kind of standardized around the world. That was the point. You know, it's like Mickey D's or BK or Wendy's or wherever you go, it always tastes pretty much the same. Uh, Oi, Sharon, hey! Welcome to the stream. Thanks for popping in here, Sharon. It is good to see you and good to hear from you. Uh, And she says, only in Malaysia for a limited time only. (laughs) Okay, well there, now you know. It's only in Malaysia and KFC should sponsor my show. Sharon. Uh, All right, look, if you're not into the -the over-the-counter food and you're more into natural food, you are going to love this one. I would love to see this. This would be so cool. This is in Detroit. And let me tell you, with most of the news out of Detroit being a body count these days, and that screwed up place, this is from a a Facebook page called Self-Sufficient Backyard by Ron and Johanna. Check this out. It is America's first urban agri-hood in Detroit. It feeds 2,000 households for free. It's a little three-acre garden, not all that big. You can see the picture here. If you're listening on the podcast, go to rumble.com slash Pants. You can subscribe and see the visual, our video show. Uh, But it has a fruit orchard with 200 trees. I assume all kinds of fruits, apples, pears, peaches. And a, uh, it also has a sensory garden for kids so they can experience that. Or perhaps even for blind people where they can go and, and experience the, the other sensors besides sight. Uh, things like smell and touch, taste. Um, but this is brilliant. And this is what you can see downtown Detroit here in the background. Let me get my mouse back. There you go. You can see here in the background is Detroit. And this looks like suburban Detroit, where, like I said, most of the news out of Detroit lately has been a body count or how many people got shot. Uh, but this, this is a piece of really nice news. And uh, it feeds 2,000 households for absolutely free. It's a three-acre garden that they have cultivated and grown. Nice, nicely done, too. Can you imagine that here in Malaysia? I know here in our Taman, in our uh, area... We have uh, an, uh, one. Uh, we have several parks inside this area where I live, a- in Subang Jaya, and um, in one they have a free library set up. And you know me and reading books and how much I encourage everybody to not only to read but to get your kids to read. That's why we read the classic books on this show at the end. But they have a free library there. You can. Take a book home, read it there. You can drop books off if you've got old books you want to donate. But also there are places in this, right around where the library is, little cover set up, where people plant vegetables, fruits, things like that. And it's doing well. Every night when we walk Miko, we we go by that section and everybody's out there doing their gardening and stuff. Sadly, we just heard about, was it MBSJ 
saying you can't grow things in the front of your house anymore or on the on the strip of land in front of your property because you know god forbid anybody should actually grow some fruits and vegetables out there to help sustain themselves so something like this they'd probably shut it down and tell you you can't do it but and that's too bad because you know science smart thinking sustainable living nah we can't have that okay so i went downhill a little bit and did a little complaining over a really good story but anyway i found this thought i would share it and maybe give you some ideas you can start something like that here in malaysia i would love to see that 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 would be very very cool i would definitely promote that let me know if you're thinking of doing it or if you maybe you already have a community garden like this very small one we have here in Maitaman. okay one last weird fact and then we're going to move on to our book for tonight um <laughs> it's a tiny one it's just a little one but i wanted to share it with you because it was so weird i didn't know this i used to live for the for five years before i moved here to malaysia 20 years ago. Wow. I used to live in Key West in Florida. If you don't know, Florida is that big boot that hangs off the bottom of the U.S. in the south. And then the very tip of Florida, there's a chain of islands that hook around. And those are called the Keys, because Key is the Spanish word for island. Key, like Cudjo Key, Big Pine Key. Basically, it's island. And Key West. Everyone knows Key West. The village people did a song about Key West. Um, But Key West is the most south you can be in the U.S. and still be in the U.S. It's, It's more south than Texas, if you basically think of the map of the U.S. It's the southernmost point in the U.S., 90 miles above Cuba. Just 90 miles between Key West and Cuba. Um... Miami is not very far away, just way up the Keys, and on the tip of Florida is Miami. This is a big, long explanation that's going to take longer than it is to to share this little bit of information, but it's a cool story. Miami was founded by a woman. Now, that doesn't seem like it ought to be that much of a shocker, but back in the day, you know, women's rights, women's right to vote— Women's place in society wasn't really where it is today. It wasn't anywhere near where it is today. But Miami is the only major American city that was founded by a woman. How cool is that? Julia Tuttle, who was a woman from Cleveland, purchased 640 acres in what is present-day downtown Miami because she wanted to start a new chapter in her life. For this reason, she is called the Mother of Miami. How about that? That is so cool. So this little 640-acre, that's not a small uh, patch of land, that uh, Julia Tuttle purchased, eventually grew up and became Miami, Florida. Faiz Ismail, hey! Welcome to the stream. Howdy doody. Thanks for joining. Good to have you in tonight. Be sure you like and subscribe and share if you can. Uh, And again, if you're listening on the podcast, on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, wherever, we're on all the podcast uh, platforms, uh, and you want to see the video version of our show, 
uh, after we're live. We usually put it up about an hour later, and both the podcast and the video version, it's rumble.com slash Pants. Free accounts, free to subscribe, and a very cool place, and a nice alternative to YouTube, who, by the way, lately has been going absolutely not-so-communist with their ridiculous censorship. We may soon not be on YouTube. And Facebook, you're holding on by a thread, too, so be prepared. Mmm. That's what I'm talking about. All right. So, hey, congratulations, Julia Tuttle from Cleveland, who basically started Miami. That is the coolest thing ever. Don't you think? I do. Very cool. Okay. We covered all of our topics tonight. I can't believe we got through all that. And we've done a half an hour. How about that? Okay. Uh, We're going to move up and on. Let me make sure that I got take care of all my business here that I had to tell you about. Uh, Patreon.com, if you want to help support the show. We actually have lowered our tier prices because we're cheap and we're trying to get more people over there. So Patreon.com slash Sheldon, if you want to support the show, we got some great offers. Uh, first tier level is just like three, four, five bucks a month. Uh, it's like pocket change. Um, and you just help to support the show. At our second tier level, you will get access to all of our classic books being read by me on our show, but they've been cut up into just that part of the show, all, all separated by chapters. So you can follow through. It's like listening to an audio book. In fact, if you want, you don't have to watch the visual, just listen to the sound. So that's available to you as a second tier level. And then for a third tier level, you can actually get this professional voice guy to do voiceovers for you. Yeah, we're just, you know, using the business. So it's patreon.com slash Sheldon if you want to help support the show. Okay, that's all the blah blah for tonight except to remind you to subscribe, like, and share the show because all those things help. It is time to move up and on to our book. And we have been doing... The Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling. And uh, it's been quite a ride. It is, as we've said several times, these books certainly don't follow the... uh, Let me move that over there. Uh, They don't follow the movies or the animated films that we've seen of Alice in Wonderland, The Wizard of Oz. You can tell where the films came from, from these books. But man, they're nothing like the movies. And this one is probably as far away from the film as I've ever seen in any of these classic books. The only one that really held true, I think, was The Little Prince, which was a cool book to read. Go check that out, The Little Prince. Really nice. That was fun. But this Jungle Book has been an insane ride. It's very dark in some places, and parts of it, just don't exist if you've seen the animated Disney film. Um, but this is Rudyard Kipling's original Jungle Book. We just got through with the story of Ricky Tikki Tavi, and we are now moving into, I think, the second to the last chapter, which is Tumai of the Elephants. And this is the poem. They always start off a chapter with a poem from Kipling. I will remember what I was. I am sick of rope and chain. I will remember my old strength and all my forest affairs. I will not sell my back to man for a bundle of sugar cane. 
I will go out to my own kind and the wood folk in their lairs. I will go out until the day, until the morning break, out to the wind's untainted kiss, the water's clean caress. I will forget my ankle ring and snap my picket stake. I will revisit my lost loves and playmates masterless. The chapter Tumai of the Elephants from Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book. Kala Nag, which means black snake, had served the Indian government in every way that an elephant could serve it for 47 years. And as he was fully 20 years old when he was caught, that makes him nearly 70, a ripe age for an elephant. He remembered pushing with a big leather pad on his forehead at a gun stuck in deep mud, and that was before the Afghan War of 1842, and he had not then come to his full strength. His mother, Radha Piari, Radha the Darling, who had been caught in the same drive with Kala Nag, told him before his little milk tusks had dropped out that elephants who were afraid always got hurt. Kala Nag knew that advice was good. And for the first time he saw a shell burst, he backed, screaming, into a stand of piled rifles, and the bayonets pricked him all in his softest places. So screaming, before he was so before he was twenty-five, he gave up being afraid. And so he was the best-loved and the best-looked-after elephant in the service of the government of India. He'd carried tents, 1,200 pounds weight of tents, on the march in Upper India. He'd been hoisted up into a ship at the end of a steam crane and taken for days across the water and made to carry a mortar on his back in a strange and rocky country very far from India. He had seen the Emperor Theodore lying dead in Magdala and had come back again in the steamer entitled, so the soldiers said, to the Absinthe War Medal. He had seen his fellow elephants die of cold and epilepsy and starvation and sunstroke up at a place called Ali Musjid. Ten years later and afterward, he'd been sent down thousands of miles south to haul and pile big bulks of teak in the timberlands of Molmain. There he had half-killed an insubordinate young elephant who was shirking his fair share of work. After that, he was taken off timber-hauling and employed with a few score other elephants who were trained to do the business to help in catching wild elephants among the Garo Hills. Elephants are very strictly preserved by the Indian government. There is one whole department which does nothing else but hunt them and catch them and break them in and send them up and down the country as they're needed for work. Kala Nag stood ten fair feet at the shoulder and his tusks had been cut off short at five feet. 
and bound round the ends to prevent them from splitting with bands of copper, but he could do more with those stumps than any untrained elephant could do with the real sharpened ones. When, after weeks and weeks of cautious driving of scattered elephants across the hills, the forty or fifty wild monsters were driven into the last stockade, and the big drop-gate, made of tree-trunks lashed together, jarred down behind them. Kalanag, at the word of command, would go into that flaring, trumpeting pandemonium, generally at night, when the flicker of the torches made it difficult to judge distances, and, picking out the biggest and wildest tusker of the mob, would hammer him and hustle him into quiet, while the men in the backs of the other elephants roped and tied the smaller ones. There was nothing in the way of fighting with Kalanag. The old wise black snake did not know, for he stood up more than once in his time to the charge of the wounded tiger, and, curling up his soft trunk to be out of harm's way, had knocked the springing brute sideways in mid-air with a quick sickle cut of his head that he had invented all by himself. He'd knocked him over and kneeled upon him with huge knees till the life went out with a gasp and a howl. And there was only a fluffy striped thing on the ground for Kalanag to pull by the tail. Yes, said Big Tumai, the driver, the son of Black Tumai, who'd taken him to Absinthia, and grandson of Tumai of the elephants, who had seen him caught. There is nothing that the black snake fears, except me. He's seen three generations of us feed him and groom him, and he will live to see four. He's afraid of me also, said little Tumai, standing up at his full height of four feet. With only one rag upon him, he was ten years old, and the eldest son of big Tumai, and according to custom, he would take his father's place on Kalanag's neck when he grew up, and would handle the heavy iron ankus, the elephant goad that had been worn smooth by his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather. He knew what he was talking of, for he'd been born under Kalanag's shadow, had played with the end of his trunk before he could walk, had taken him down to the water as soon as he could walk, and Kalanag would no more have dreamed of disobeying his shrill little orders than he would have dreamed of killing him on that day when Big Tumai carried the little brown baby under Kalanag's tusks and told him to salute his master that was to be. Yes, said little Tumai, he is afraid of me and he took long strides up to Kalanag, called him a fat old pig, and made him lift up his feet, one after the other. Wah, said little Tumai, thou art a big elephant. And he wagged his fluffy head, quoting his father. The government may pay for elephants, but they belong to us mahouts. When thou art old, Kalanag, there will come some rich Raja, and he'll buy thee from the government on account of thy size and thy manners, 
and then thou wilt have nothing to do but carry gold earrings in thy ears, and a gold howdah on thy back, and a red cloth covered with gold on thy sides, and walk at the head of the processions of the king. Then I shall sit on thy neck, O Kalanag, with a silver ankus, and men will run before us with golden sticks, crying, Room for the king's elephants! That'll be good, Kalanag, but not so good as this hunting in the jungles. Oof, said Big Tamai. Thou art a boy, and as wild as a buffalo calf. This running up and down among the hills is not the best government service. I'm getting old, and I do not love wild elephants. Give me brick elephant lines, one stall to each elephant, and big stumps to tie them to safely, and flat, broad roads to exercise upon instead of this come-and-go camping. Aha! The Conpore barracks were good. There was a bazaar close by, and only three hours' work a day. Little Tumai remembered the Conporn elephant lines and said nothing. He very much preferred the camp life and hated those broad, flat roads with the daily grubbing for grass and the forage reserve and the long hours when there was nothing to do except watch Kalanag fidgeting in his pickets. What Little Tumai liked was to scramble up bridle paths that only an elephant could take, the dip into the valley below, the glimpses of the wild elephants browsing miles away, the rush of the frightened pig and peacock under Kalanag's feet, the blinding warm rains when all the hills and valleys smoked, and the beautiful misty mornings when nobody knew where they would camp that night the steady, cautious drive of the wild elephants, and the mad rush and blaze and hullabaloo of the last night's drive. When the elephants poured into the stockade like boulders in a landslide, found that they could not get out, and flung themselves at the heavy posts, only to be driven back by yells and flaring torches and volleys of blank cartridge. Even a little boy could be of use there, and Tumai was as useful as three boys. He would get his torch and wave it and yell with the best. But the really good time came when the driving out began, and the kadah, that is, the stockade, looked like a picture of the end of the world and men had to make signs to one another because they could not hear themselves speak. The little Tumai would climb up to the top of one of those quivering stockade posts, his sun-bleached brown hair flying loose all over his shoulders and looking like a goblin in the torchlight. As soon as there was a lull, you could hear his high-pitched yells of encouragement to Kalanag, above the trumpeting and crashing and snapping of ropes, and the groans of the tethered elephants. Mile, mile, Kalanag. Go on, go on, black snake. Dent do, give him the tusk. 
Yai Kayaha, he would shout, and the big fight between Kalanag and the wild elephant would sway to and fro across the Kadah, and the old elephant catchers would wipe the sweat out of their eyes and find time to nod to little Tumai, wriggling with joy at the top of the posts. Well, he did more than wiggle. One night, he slid down from the post and slipped in between the elephants and threw up the loose end of a rope, which had dropped to a driver who was trying to get a purchase on the leg of a kicking young calf. Calves always gave more trouble than full-grown animals. Well, Kalanag saw him, caught him in his trunk, and handed him up to Big Tumai, who slapped him then and there and put him back on the post. The next morning gave him a scolding and said, Are not good brick elephant lines and little tent carrying enough? That thou must need to go elephant catching on thy own account? Little worthless. Now, those foolish hunters, whose pay is less than my pay, have spoken to Peterson Salub of the matter. Little Tumai was frightened. He did not know much of white men. But Peterson Sahib was the greatest white man in the world to him. He was the head of all the Kadah operations, the man who caught all of the elephants for the government of India, and who knew more about the ways of elephants than any living man. What, what will happen, said little Tumai. Happen? The worst that can happen. Peterson Sahib is a madman. Why else would he go hunting these wild devils? He may even require thee to be an elephant catcher, to sleep anywhere in these fever-filled jungles, and at last to be trampled to death in the Kadah. It is well that this nonsense ends safely. Next week the catching is over, and we of the plains are sent back to our stations. Then we will march on smooth roads and forget all this hunting. But, son, I am angry that thou shouldst meddle in the business that belongs to these dirty Assamese jungle folk. Kalanag will obey none but me, so I must go with him into the Kadah. But he is only a fighting elephant, and does not help to rope them. So I sit at my ease as benefits a mahout, not a mere hunter, a mahout. I say, and a man who gets a pension at the end of his service. Is the family of Tomai of the elephants to be trodden underfoot in the dirt of a kadah? Bad one, wicked one. Worthless son, go and wash Kalanag, and attend to his ears, and see that there are no thorns in his feet, or else Peterson Sahib will surely catch thee, and make thee a wild hunter, a follower of elephants' foot tracks, a jungle bear. Bah! Shame! Go! Little Tumai went off, 
without saying a word. And that's where we're going to stop for tonight. <laughs> uh, the second to the last chapter in Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book, an interesting little bit of exposition and the opening of that chapter. Some more adventures to come in The Jungle Book. Nasi Tangerine. Ooh, what's this? Well, <laughs> it's a live show. We do Monday, Wednesday, Friday on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch.tv. It's also a podcast across Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the platforms. And it's also a place where I just hang out and tell funny stories or interesting, weird things we find on the internet we want to talk about. Other than that, that's about it. Thanks for watching, folks. I'll see you Saturday night for our 100th show. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Good night. <laughs>